Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I, too, am ready to rock. Also joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I was going to say that I was cold, and then I remembered where you guys live. And then I thought, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that out loud with these guys. It yeah. was a lovely 44 degrees today. I almost saw the sun. <laughs> But that'll be over soon, and we'll be back to the Slate Gray. And joining us in there, but not on the podcast, regular co-host Jed Brewer. Maybe he's somewhere just just chasing after the sun, <laughs> hoping to get one well, last ray. Well, you did have a, Matt, I, I don't, I, I think it was like last week or something, you had like a, a social media story of like the the snow had begun, and you you had like the Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time of the year, which... It, depending on how long you've been hanging around Matt on this podcast, the idea of Andy Williams being posted on Matt's social media singing "It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year" is pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of thought to be to be honest, I kind of thought I buried the needle in sarcasm on that one, and yeah. I, I've never felt that more than when a, a mutual friend of Leonard's, lead mine, um, posted a very unironic hard eyes emoji at the beauty of the snow. <laughs> And man, if you ever want to feel like you've really lost touch with the ability to feel like any positive human emotion, have somebody misinterpret your dripping in sarcasm. I hate everything post as, yeah, isn't snow, isn't the majesty of creation and, you know, it's so perfect and wide. Isn't it wonderful? And you're like, no, it, the, the, the next thing you would have to post is that, that, uh, that, that Chris Farley reaction after he goes off about the Folgers crystals and. How are you feeling, sir? Angry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Buried in every male about our age. If you ask him to talk about his feelings, <laughs> the first thing that comes up is that Chris Farley clip. Wearing the neck brace. <laughs> yep. <laughs> angry. Well, speaking of things to be angry about and confused, because that's one of the other emotions we're able to feel. And the irony needle being buried. Absolutely. We have an emergency. This one comes to oh, us via our friends, and I use that term as sarcastically as I posted the Andy Williams song, over at Answers in Genesis. <laughs> you may know them. Oh. Uh, you may know that as the organization run by creationist Ken Ham. Oh, my. An unfortunately named gentleman who uh, is does like the debates with Bill Nye, and he built a theme park based around Noah's Ark in uh, Kentucky because nothing says awe and reverence like building a theme park in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Sistine Chapel, basically the same thing. Yeah, if you've met any Christians, you won't be shocked to know that it's been a roaring success. So they're going for round two. <laughs> so they had to go back to the Bible and find another big thing. <laughs> Lord. And here's where they landed. I'm reading from the answers in Genesis.org website, meaning this is unbelievable. I will have to totally scrub this machine and do some <laughs> kind of hard restore of my operating system <laughs> as soon as we end this recording. Yeah, because otherwise you're ticking their numbers up, Matt. Yeah, also, I don't even want to know what kind of virus you get from whoever built the answers in Genesis.org website. It says... Rebuilding Babel for God's glory, not man. What? Three reasons Answers in Genesis plans to build a replica of the Tower of Babel. <laughs> Lord. I mean, dude, 
No, man. <laughs> yeah, because the when they built that the first time, God was super pumped about that. He really thought that was a great idea. Well, they speak That's to that. That's the way that. that story went. They don't actually answer it, but they speak to it in a, in bright text. As a pull quote on the on the side, since Babel is best known for its rebellion against our creator, this structure might seem like an odd addition for a ministry devoted <laughs> to upholding the authority of God's word and spreading the gospel through its many outreaches. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, it would so if you're you were aware that, of it. But from the people who built the Noah's Ark theme park, it's actually not all that surprising. So here's, <laughs> here's my biggest question about this. You know, when you go to an amusement park, uh, you know, there... It's like there's a thousand ways to get in. You, there's only one way to get out, and that's through the gift shop. Absolutely. You have to walk through the gift shop before you leave. That's that's even things like you go to the city zoo or a museum or anything like that. You got to go out through the gift shop. Let's see if you want to buy some trinkets on the way out. I mean, the level of ridiculousness of this, I fully at this point now expect that in the gift shop, you could get uh, Answers in Genesis branded like, golden calves in the gift shop oh absolutely right. it's fine when we do it <laughs> well i i let me just say because you want to try and find some positive possibilities because this is just insane that's what we do on this show positive possibilities <laughs> if you build a tower and first of all, how do you know this tower is in any way resembling the original tower? Do we have the building plans for that? Was that the same way they know the Earth is six thousand years old, Glenn? Yeah, it's all okay. in there. It's it's cubits <laughs> and all that. Okay, well, let's say they build what they think of as the Tower of Babel. That's 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 crazy pants. But if you build it and then you explode it. Like as if it had been, it was being smited. Oh wow! Maybe I'm on board then. So you're thinking more of like a a Pirates of the Caribbean stunt show situation. Yes, yes. That's at least got some theme park that aspects. That still is horrible. Yeah, exactly. That would fit. It it's still horrible, but uh, you know, it's explosions. That's that's it's hard to be against that. Well, I think a much better. Uh, use of the resources for the Noah's Ark theme park people would be things that would be cool theme park attractions. So you could yeah. have like the 11 and one and three shows of, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That's a big <laughs> oh, firework no, show. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Maybe, uh, the, uh, after lunch, uh, the, the falling of, of the walls of Jericho. Yes. Excellent. Maybe you could just kind of, in the way that Disney, you know, it's like Donald Duck or whatever running around, you just have a bald guy running around with two guys in bear suits kind of chasing people <laughs> the other way. Oh, well, gosh. it's, you know, uh, to me, it, th this is like, uh, do we consider other possibilities kind of a thing, you know? Like, I don't know if y'all saw this recently, but there was a, a building in... Um, Canada, and they had a vote. You know how they they do these votes for the name of a of a building as a government building. And as you know, the actor Nathan Fillion is Canadian, and so they voted to name this building the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. <laughs> and I think that's brilliant. And his that's response to it was delightful. Did you even consider 
the one in a million civilian pavilion. So my point is you got to consider all the possibilities before you right. start building your Tower of Babel. Like, for example, like Solomon's Temple. Would, would, wouldn't that have been a little more appropriate? A little more glorious? Yeah. I mean, something. You know, the Wailing Wall or something? Sure. Well, gentlemen, you, I, I've read a little further into the thing of why they're building this. And they can't just come out and say money, money, and more money. So they had to come up with stuff. And in a bit of a way of kind of, um, you know, where's Waldo, a kind of <laughs> a twist ending, but a thing you always knew was there. Would you be shocked to know that, and I can't track the logic, so don't try. They're building the Tower of Babel because of critical race theory. What? 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 How does that track? This teaching leads to a closely related issue and our third reason to build a tower. Education systems and politicians throughout Western nations have incited and encouraged a division by promoting racist concepts like critical race theory. A large part of CRT oh, is the gosh. ungodly idea that we must instruct people to see and judge people based on the melanin level in their skin, which is the opposite of what Scripture teaches. All people are descendants of Avans. We are made in God's image. Our true problem is sin, which includes prejudice and racism, and the solution is all the same for us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ironically. Is it ironic? Because I don't think you know what that mm. word means. Critical yeah. race theory is the exact opposite of what Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream and people would be judged by the content of their character rather than the goals of their skin. Mm. So, because CRT, which again, is just saying like, race is an issue in American history, right. which if you go back and read things like, I don't know, that part in the Constitution where they declared black people three-fifths of a person... Or any of the secession documents of the South. Oh, yes. In which they basically write in big red letter, we're doing it because of slavery. Yes. <laughs> and we're doing the slavery because of the inferiority of a certain race. Yeah. Don't yeah. go back and read what prominent religious officials in the country said at that time. You won't feel good about it. But yeah, yeah. they didn't try to rebuild the Tower of Babel. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's a, I'm looking through the, their explanation of the, as you're describing it of why they did it, and I come upon this word, outreach. That part of the reason for building the Tower of Babel is outreach. And here's my question, and I'm dying to know it. What do you think that word means? <laughs> because... Do you think people are going to be like, you know what? I'm a secular humanist, but I got to check this out. <laughs> they they pack up the Winnebago, they head out, they pull up, they see the Tower of Babel, and they say, you know what? You got me. I'm in. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I believe God has a perfect plan for my life, and I recognize that I'm, in a, that I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven. <laughs> right. That's... <laughs> that's that's what that building does. Yeah. Did you, is that the way you've mapped it out in your head? Because I don't know if those dots really connect. I will say, based on the original biblical story, I have spent a fair amount of time in Kentucky and around Kentuckians, and mm. sometimes it is hard to understand the language. Yeah. And so based on the actual text, you know, I can see this, you know, you you, you have people come in visiting a thing, and they literally can't explain understand the tour guides right well i mean that would be would be valuable um 
here, here's where irony uh, breathes its last breath. So if you enjoyed irony before we read this uh, thing to you, uh, kiss it goodbye. Because <laughs> here's the, the uh, headline of the last section on their website. Again, about building their own Tower of Babel. It is titled thusly, Lofty Goals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Our goal in building the Babel attraction at the Ark Encounter, which there's a psychically damaging series of words, is to proclaim mankind's true history. Oh, right. So I I take it to the the biblical text in Genesis 11. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Hmm. That seems like a lofty goal, Matt. It seemed like literally <laughs> their a goal, goal was to, to be a loft. Themselves to- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> so yeah. that they may make a name for themselves and people would notice what they had built. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, I know I have the wrong take on these things, but... I just picture in any room full of people, isn't there just one person that's like, hey, guys, the, <laughs> there's some holes here. <laughs> I think we actually have this one pointed backwards, you know, something along, not, you know, not like a contentious person, but just one that's like, we could build other things. And, you know. To Glenn's earlier point of the only way this is attractive is if you actually get to see it blown up as in a smiting. I actually think it could make sense for these folks that are building these attractions to, uh, to recreate certain times in scripture where God did like level some folks because they really like that. They really like the idea of just the judgment of God. And so I can see them raising all the money. Let's build something where we recreate um, the the people we don't like getting just absolutely smashed. Well, I like the idea where they start off with the idea to rebuild like a model of Sodom and Gomorrah that gets destroyed yeah. from uh, the, right. you know, the, the earth every day at 2.30, you know, with lightning and And then someone gets the part where the, the actual reason that God ordered Sodom destroyed, and they're like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Yeah. The being mean to foreigners thing. That's right. going to conflict with kind of our whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> the other the other interesting uh, money-making opportunity here is they have at the top of the this page kind of an artist rendering. And it's kind of a stepped-up ziggurat thing. And what it really yeah. reminds me of is the building at the end of the first Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a crossover I could dig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like hopefully this this really dies off and they have to pivot, and it's kind of okay. Well, now this is a uh, prophets of Baal, prophets of Zul, close enough. Evo Evo Shandor, the whole deal. We're just gonna get guys with proton packs up there and make this a laser light show, and that's something <laughs> we're going to Kentucky for. Yeah, yeah, especially if we we find some apocryphal Harold Ramis, uh, you know, script that we can use with the tour guides. Hey, it's bound to be in there somewhere. Uh, the, the good news is if you want to get in on the, on the ground floor, uh, they still need to raise about $8 million more of their $17 million fundraising goal. Wow. <laughs> and on that truest of emergencies, we will declare emergency off.
Wow. Now, I don't know what we're going to build if we raise $17 million uh, via Bridgebox. I imagine we're going to build all of us retirement, and then you'll just <laughs> never see us again. Uh, but, hey, maybe other stuff. We could – we could. There's, there's open lots in the city of Chicago. We could build a ziggurat for some reason. <laughs> we could find a verse to justify that. But for now, we'll just continue paying our, our deacons, filling in some other expenses for the bridge, all sorts of great stuff that – you can get some uh, good stuff into the into your inbox if you sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. If you're listening to this on the day it came out on December 1st, then we've just had a brand new issue full of all sorts of great stuff. You can check in every week over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for our weekly bridge cast featuring songs, sermons, prayers, all sorts of other fun stuff recorded live at our bridge service on Tuesday. If you can't be with us in Chicago on Tuesday, it is definitely the next best thing. We hope you will join us 7 p.m. Central Time on Sunday if you want to catch it live. If you can't catch it live, then you can find it whenever it's convenient for you over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, My non-Christian friends are very accepting of my faith. They talk about how I'm not one of, quote, those Christians which is good, but it also makes me angry at the people who are ruining the idea of Christianity for my friends. I feel like it, I feel like because of them being not one of those has a limited impact. How is the best way to think about this? And a very cool question and uh, from a really, really interesting place. And Glenn, where do we start off here? Well, I, 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 this is actually a very common uh, thought and co- concern, particularly these days. I'm super glad you're giving us a chance to talk to you about it, because I think there's a ton of confusion on this, and and uh, we we struggle to get a right uh, viewpoint on this. Uh, the Bible says a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not consume it. Mm-hmm. And when you dig into the thought process of that, it's kind of it it it's sort of saying. You know, no matter how dark this room is, the darkness of the room doesn't keep the candle from burning bright. It's the other way around. And I think that ought to be a point of faith for all of us. I think that ought to be, ought to be a fundamental understanding of the way the world works. Uh, the world does not work on the basis of what's hip and what's not hip and what, what the, you know, what the buzz is and what the zeitgeist says and all that nonsense. None of that has anything to do with light shining in the darkness and the darkness not consuming it. This is, we, we have to separate these things out. We need to, on a macro level, say to ourselves, we need to focus on what reasonable, fairly well-informed people think. That We need to care about that. You need to be concerned about, as you are with your friends, uh, you need to be concerned about what grown, adult, reasonably well-informed, reasonably intelligent people think. And there's a lot of those people in the world, let's let's be honest. Uh, those people are telling you, we do not think of you as a part of this thing that we see that is jacked up. You need to accept that. Uh, people don't, you know, uh, uh, don't sort of associate you with that just because you both call yourself the same thing. I think you need to grab some acceptance on that. I think you need to find a way of letting that go and, and recognizing you are the light that shines 
and people see that light, and they're attracted to that light, and you're making the difference in that and, and be at peace with that. Let all the other, you know, again, zeitgeisty type of stuff, just tune that out because it doesn't matter in the way that you might think that it does. Um, we need to focus on, if I'm shining that light in the darkness, if I'm, if I'm making that, that good example, that people, people are able to differentiate what makes that different. They're able to see this person has something about them that is gentle and respectful and loving. And if, if there is a supreme being in the universe, we can only imagine him being loving and accepting and, and understanding. An all-knowing being is bound to be understanding because he understands everything. <laughs> if you see someone being petty and vindictive and ugly and mean-spirited, you say, that person isn't even doesn't have a mature understanding of how the world works, let alone a mature understanding of the faith they claim to have. And we don't think God is like that. So I think it's important for you to recognize that you're drawing connections and you're, you're, you're worried about sort of an association kind of thing there that your secular friends don't, don't feel and that doesn't exist. That's a very good place to start that off. Lee, where do we take things from there? Yeah, I love this question too. And, you know, the, one of the critical things for me about this is that right along with, with where um, Glenn is, is uh, leaving off there, you actually have this amazing opportunity to show people outside of our faith what our faith actually is, what it actually means to know Jesus. Glenn talked about how People that don't know Jesus are they they have heard enough about the teachings of Jesus. They know enough about what he is like, what he the things he said and the things that he did. They know enough about that to be able to recognize the dissonance between people who call themselves Christians, who speak for us, who are completely out of pocket, all that kind of stuff. The the people that are that are unkind, the people that are you know unaccepting, the people that are just being ridiculous, uh, you know, on the mic all the time. They're able to see that dissonance. What that means is you have this incredible clarity, this in- incredible opportunity to bring clarity that to that and to fill in the gaps and to show people this is what Jesus is actually like. Um, this is He was actually about love. He was actually about gentleness. He was actually about kindness. He was a- about dignity. He was about respect. He was about so many things that people have gotten twisted and upside down. And I was I was talking recently to our congregation and <clears throat> and pointing out just a couple of things that that you know that that if people haven't investigated in a while, it, they would they might be surprised based on just kind of the way Christians talk and the way Christians act that the very first um, you know I think Jed talked about this on the podcast a, a few months back the very first missionary or preacher that Jesus sent out with the news of his resurrection was a woman. The very first person, the very first person that Jesus actually ever said to their face, I am the Messiah, was a foreigner, a person of a different race that that all of Jesus' people hated because of her race. 
Um, There's just like the cool thing about little moments like that is when people recognize the people that are being loud about Christianity, I don't think that they actually have a, a whole lot of bleed over into what Jesus was actually like. I mean, I don't know everything about Jesus, but I know this is not attractive and I know this is not about love. This is about xenophobia or this is about racism or this is about nationalism or this is about self-protection or whatever, whatever, whatever. This is a this is about being stingy and self-protective and standing up for our rights or whatever. And then you come in and they're like, you're different. Now you have this beautiful opportunity to show people the heart of Christ, the heart of Christ that that did um, reach out and give dignity and honor to people who were different, who were outsiders, who were struggling, who were poor. I mean, just if you just isolated the teachings of Jesus on the poor, you have an opportunity to show people what his heart is like. If you isolated the teachings of Jesus and of Jesus's followers for for foreigners and outsiders, I mean, you have an incredible opportunity, and I think you should go for it full steam. I think that you should take that heart that people already recognize that's different and show them the love of Jesus, show them the compassion of Jesus, show them the just the heart of Jesus for the suffering, the heart of Jesus for the poor, the heart of Jesus for the outsider. Um, you have an opportunity to do, you know, we, we made fun of the quote unquote outreach of this, of this organization in, in the opening, in the emergency segment. But I'm telling you, you have the opportunity to do some real outreach, which is to show people who are outside our faith what the heart of Jesus is like. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that people already recognize what's different in you and and you get to show them that the thing that's different about you is actually the thing that is the same as the real Jesus. I, it's great stuff from all these guys. And I, I would kind of piggyback right on what Lee is saying there about what it is you can do. Because one way, it, it's maybe a bit glib, but one way to describe the situation you're, you're encountering here is that uh, there's a branding problem here. Um, you know, somebody here is people in probably in the United States here. Uh, I'm, especially if you're a white person, a Christian, and they think they can fill in a lot of stuff about you from the jump. Here's the thing about that. They have perfectly good reasons for thinking that. Yeah. Statistically, um, from, uh, media portrayal, from the amount of airwaves and the amount of, uh, stuff that is branded a certain way. They, they take a swing. They happen to be wrong with you, which is great. But all you can really focus on, as Lee and Glenn are both saying here, is what you're doing. You can't convince them anything on the brand because how they think of that, how they perceive that, the way they come to perceive that is all going to be kind of their own situation and their own journey. You know, some if it had been in the news a bunch that, you know, taking this certain, this certain kind of, you know, soft drink or whatever just happened to give people horrific intestinal problems. You would not be doing any help if you said, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Trust me. Drink it. Drink it. It's fine. It's fine. Don't trust you to hurt. Drink it. It's going to be great. And, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, if you wanted to get someone into like, you know, say it's sushi and they, oh, I, you can say, well, I do it and it's fine. And if you ever want to check it out, that's cool too. Trying to go back and well, here's 
here's the history of evangelicalism and here's the Roe v. Wade, how that ties in. And this is actually this and that teaching. And none of that's going to get, get you anywhere because you're fighting an uphill battle on, on messaging. What you can do, which nothing on cable news, nothing on the internet nothing can replace is having that real interaction, having a real person they can point to. And we all totally understand and share your frustration that the idea that sometimes it feels like the best you're going to get is, well, I still think 99% of Christians are this way, but you and these small number of others I've met are cool. Um, it's progress. It's better. And here's the thing. They, if they, they kept upping that percentage by one point, eventually mm. they would actually hit a number where like, yeah, I think this number of Christians are cool and this number I really can't jive with. And they'd be right. Yeah. So what are you trying? The other question would probably be, what are you trying to convince them of? Because again, they're right about some of the the assumptions they're making about some people and things that are comfortable or uncomfortable with them. The other thing is this idea, and it really does double back to a megachurchy idea that if we can make the brand of Jesus really awesome, that will just help people come to Jesus. If people think it's it's cool and it's of the moment, and if we can tie. Christianity to social justice, and if we can tie it to this and that and things that are in the news, which, as Lee points out, there's a huge overlap between Christianity and social justice. There's a huge overlap between Christianity and standing up for uh, oppressed peoples and and minority groups. That's absolutely in there, but that's not a brand. You don't want to, you don't want to be, you know, the uh, what was it the the Pepsi ad where like Kendall Jenner offers a cop dressed in riot gear a Pepsi, and then it zooms out, and we're left to presume that that. Solved racism, I guess. I don't know what that was. <laughs> um, you, you don't want to be trying to do that for Christianity. Say, no, no, there's there's a cool version that's actually going to take over, and then everything will be will be great. Which, again, at that point, you're getting into a branding and a media messaging conversation and all these other things. Yeah. What you can do is have your own impact, have your impact with people, and then you got to let God do what he's going to do with your friends who are seeking or not seeking or on a long a long uh, bend and journey. And that's something we do have to come to the point where we can be okay with. But one of the things you can do in that meantime is really focus on the things you guys are talking about, what you can do, what you can represent, what you can show people. And it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. I love the way Lee laid that out. Move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I just saw my family for Thanksgiving. They acted crazy and wore me out. But if I feel like I had not gone or didn't go to the next holiday, I would feel bad about myself anyway. It feels like I just can't win. And uh, we talked about this on a, a, something similar on, the, on a recent show about you know going into the holidays with your ideas of boundaries and stuff, and that's great. But Glenn, I, I really like this case study of we've already had one thing go bad. <laughs> yeah. So now where do we go from here? Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. That you know what. What uh, do we think will happen next time? If they got away with it once, they're going to keep trying, yeah. Uh, I think the way I want to look at this is from the perspective of expectations. Uh, Your family has certain expectations of you. Uh, Some of them may be fair and reasonable. Some of them might be completely insane. It's good for you to figure out which is which uh, because... Uh, you can't, as it turns out, you can't meet everyone's expectations. That's not a physically thing, possible thing for you to do. You, you, you will let some people down and not meet their expectations. That is how life works. 
Uh, if you can't live with that, I don't know what to tell you. You're 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 just going to be crushed by the weight of the oppression of it all. We can't go down that road. Uh, you cannot meet everyone's expectations. Uh, the problem that we have, uh, and I'm putting myself in the crosshairs on this. I struggle with this stuff as much as anybody does. But the problem we have is we take the expectations that other people have of us, and then we put those on ourselves and say, mm-hmm. you know, I think it is right for me to uh, be there for my family. You know, that just that sounds really holy. It sounds really Christian. Um, but I think uh, we've talked about this before. It's worth reiterating. When you want to find out what's the godly way to make a decision and what's the ungodly way to make a decision, what you look, what you're generally looking for is a decision that is religious, that is, um, has the sound and the ring of religiousness but is ultimately cruel, particularly to you. Mm. The other decision sets you free. Those, and that's the godly one. Um, the devil comes disguised as an angel of light. He sells you on religious ideas because he thinks you'll buy that. If you want to walk with the Lord, you're, you're going to look for things that are sort of have that religiosity to it. If I say nothing's more important than family, you must get around your dysfunctional family and let them put all their dysfunctions on you and just marinate in that because that is holy. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's not, you know, that, that's a terrible idea. There can't be any godly outcome to that. But it, it, we get that thinking going that this has to be good. It has to be right. I, I, if I put these expectations on myself, I don't even need to pray about it. Is there any chance that I could go to God and he would say, ditch these weirdos and go be around some positive people? You know, you decided that that can't be, so you don't even ask. And so the devil kind of comes in with that, again, sort of that religious sounding, you know, good, this this has to be sort of a universal good, so I don't need to think about it kind of thing. And off we go and, and we're, we're, we're stuck in these things. So the solution is, super easy, which is to put everything on the table and let God decide uh, and pray about these decisions. So that's, that's an easy, easy thing. Again, that, that starts with accepting that not everyone will be pleased with that and that somebody will say, you know, you fell short of my expectations. And to be okay with that, to be understanding about that, to let them know, I'm sorry I didn't meet your expectations. Just so you know, I'm going to be not meeting a lot of other expectations you have in the future. You might think about modifying them a little bit. I really encourage that. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I think it's also important in, in terms of family to let them know what your expectations are of them and the behavior that you're looking for them to exhibit, particularly if you want me around. Uh, this is a two-way street. That's what family is. If you'd like to see me here, why don't you not act funky every time you see me? How about that? Yep. You know, yep. why don't you, you know, I, do you, do you think I want to show up for y'all to all have a cat fight with each other? That's, I'm not getting anything out of that. So, um, it's not fair or reasonable for you to expect for me to, uh, to want to, to, to do that. Uh, last thought on this real quick thought. I want you to ask yourself how much of your time is spent around people who withhold approval from you. 
Think about that. Now, it's it's a funny thing because, you know, like in a work context, you might not get a lot of approval, but they're not necessarily supposed to give you that approval. I mean, that's it'd be nice. It'd be, if you have a good boss, they do. But, you know, that's not, you know, that's not what they the, the way that works. The same thing with like school. It'd be nice if you had an encouraging or a teacher gave you a lot of kudos and approval, but mostly it's you do the work, they give you the grade and we're moving on here. So, you know, when it comes to your free time and when it comes to your social life, you need to start thinking about, you know, are these people stingy with approval? And if they are, why am I hanging around that? Because mm. that's, you know, I, I need a certain amount of people celebrating my victories with me and giving me encouragement and and and, and strengthening me towards the the things that I uh, am getting wrong and that I need to change in my life, yeah. rather than withholding that approval. That's great stuff. And Lee, where do we take this from there? I really love that approval piece. I I just want to share one practical piece of advice that uh, changed my life a few years ago. And this may sound really really obvious, but it was not to me until it occurred, which is the concept of friends giving, which mm. is where people who actually like each other have a get together um, on a day that's not Thanksgiving. And guess what? Everybody has a great time. <laughs> and it's a novel concept. <laughs> yeah, that's but, pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting. We got invited to a Friendsgiving thing, and it was on <clears throat> this particular year. It was, it was. I think this was actually on Thanksgiving Day, and so we had to really, really, you know, we, we just told all the family we're doing this other thing. And it was the most pleasant of days. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of just everybody had a great time. I I, I share that because... We have, and we talked in the last show about this concept of obligation. We've talked um, in already about obligations here. There's this concept, which is we have to do this. Um, and the thing is, you don't. You, you just don't have to do the, the thing. And when you experience a certain amount of dysfunction, it would actually be healthy and a self-preserving move to say, I'm not going to that. Or if I'm going to go to that, I'm going to go for 45 minutes or 30 minutes or something and say hi, and then I'm going to roll out, and I'm, I'm going to be pleasant, and I'm not going to give anybody time enough to really, really shove their foot in their mouth or whatever. But the thing that I'm looking forward to in order, you know, for particularly for, for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or whatever, is this get-together where I am actually pouring some expectations in which is this get together with some people that I enjoy being with and who are positive people and who do pour out encouragement and the kudos and, and who do make me feel accepted and wanted, who do understand what the, you know, what kind of a conversation would be a really dumb kind of conversation to have if you want to have a pleasant day, that kind of thing. Um, I think something as simple as organizing a, a Friendsgiving around the actual day itself could give you that kind of feeling of, you know what, now I don't have a lot of expectations out of Thanksgiving. I can go or not go, or I can go in a, in a mitigated way where it's like, I'm going to go say hi. I might even just keep my coat on, just kind of pass out some hugs and tell you what, I'm sorry I can't stay longer, but we'll see you guys soon. 
kind of deal. And and the the thing that I was hoping to get out of a celebration like this, I already got with the Friendsgiving. I know that sounds really simple, but it's a concept that has really, really changed my experience. I'm on a ministry team, an outreach ministry team right now, and we just had a Friendsgiving, and it was so nice and so kind and so fun and the whole deal that the bar of expectation for Thanksgiving now with the family is incredibly low. I don't really need a lot out of that. And and I can go there and you know and 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 just not expect that thing to be amazing because it's not going to be. Um and there's a you know there's a, there's a level at which we we're doing this, you know, the kids want to see their cousins or whatever the deal is. And that way I can go into that environment with a much different set of expectations. The expectations are important. Understanding, you know, what is an obligation and what's not is important. And filling up that bucket with something you can actually control and actually have a good time at, I think is a great way to change the level of expectation for the family holiday. I that's all great stuff from from both of these guys. And to, to the Friendsgiving point, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great one. There's a corollary there, which if you've had enough bad holidays, um, you, you may even use the uh, a scale of, if you're familiar with all the baseball, you know the idea of a replacement player. So it's the idea of if, if X team had to go get, you know, a dude just who was a professional baseball player, it was like AAA or whatever, but just had to get him today, what would he do? And then there's the idea of, so a really good player is worth X number of wins above that replacement player or whatever. So you judge that. Here's the thing. Is the holiday experience going to be above if you didn't do anything? <laughs> and you stayed at home and watched your favorite movie or whatever, and maybe texted with some friends, or but you couldn't get anything else going. Would going to your family thing be an improvement on that? maybe it would for some reason, like Lee's saying, you know, maybe there's the one cousin or maybe there's something or whatever, but there's also a time and maybe it's a good time after you've had the Thanksgiving or the Christmas, or whatever to ask yourself, is this really a thing to be doing? Is this adding anything to any aspect of life? And I kind of like, as, as close to my previous question, uh, leave all, uh, leave all answers on the table to that. Because, yeah. Some of us have had this conversation with uh, with uh, family members. Well, why aren't you coming to Thanksgiving this year? Were you at Thanksgiving last year? Yes. Then you know why. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, it's sometimes it's good to let things wash back, but sometimes when you've had that bad experience, it's good to sit and think while you're still in that mindset. Because what you don't want to necessarily do is get to next October and have that moment of well. Sure, Aunt So and So threw <laughs> flaming hot scalloped potatoes at her husband in the middle of the meal. <laughs> right. But was it that bad? <laughs> it's a time. It's okay to uh, take a moment to to grind in your sense memory. This was that bad. Let's start thinking yeah. about alternatives and options. That's yeah. a great use of that time. Move on to our final question. Here it comes in and says, in Luke five ten, Jesus tells people from tells Peter, from now on, you will fish for people. I always thought that was a weird analogy. What does that mean? And, and another cool question, and Glenn, where do we go with this? Well, I, yeah, I think it is a it, it is a good question. 
I think it's a good idea to look at Scripture and every now and then look at that with fresh eyes and say, I kind of glossed over that in my understanding, mm. and maybe it's worth going back over. So I, I like that question from that standpoint. Uh, and it it can be weird uh, to, to think about it in terms of, um, you know, the, the thing about, you know, casting a net and catching fish is the fish are not entirely welcoming that process. <laughs> so <laughs> it might feel like uh, this is like uh, kidnapping people for Jesus or would be more analogous or something like that. Uh, that that of course would be uh, you know a misinterpretation and misunderstanding of the the point that Jesus is making with that uh, you know with that statement there. Uh, I think uh, we're better off kind of comparing that to uh, the analogies that Jesus uses with a shepherd and what a good shepherd does and and shepherding people uh, going to where people are uh, in need, going to where people need help and guidance and companionship and, uh, you know, finding the path of where they need to be and looking out for them. And mm. uh, th- this is in the same vein. He happens to be talking to Peter, who's a fisherman, so it would be weird if he made sort of a, uh, a, a you know, a, a shepherd-based uh, analogy to him. Uh, so I think uh, part of this, uh, when when we're making analogies, when we're doing parables and stuff, is um, we can sort of stretch them to the breaking point by by trying to kind of expand out on what's being said there, as opposed to the basic um, point that's being expressed. I think though, if you do want to do that and you want to expand that out, let's think of it in the in these terms. So let's you're in, in, you're a Galilean fisherman. You got your boat, you got your nets, you're casting your nets out, and you know, hopefully you're getting some fish that comes into that. Uh, well, this is a part where I tell you that I'm, I am part Cajun, and I grew up uh, you know, next to Galveston Bay. Uh, I have operated nets and caught fish in nets. I can tell you part of what happens with that process is you get a lot of things that aren't fish. Mm. when you do that. Um, in fact, what you have on a, like a shrimp boat is you have what they call a culling tray, where you just dump everything from the the nets into a big tray. It's sort of like a big trough kind of thing. And you cull out what you don't intend to eat. Mm. So there's some fish that just, you know, don't taste good to eat, so it just sort of wouldn't make any sense. Um, but you also, uh, depending on where you're at, uh, get a lot of shellfish when you do that, because the nets go down to the bottom and you get um, crawfish or you get shrimp or you get crabs or whatever you got in that area. And uh, those, for for Jewish people, those things were not kosher for them to eat. Uh, so imagine it's been two or three or four or five days and you haven't caught anything. Your family's starting to get hungry and you're pulling up something that is edible and, as it turns out, quite delicious that you're not supposed to be eating. Uh, so part of the imagery, I think, if we want to extend that analogy, is this idea that uh, some some of these fish would be uh, ready uh, for, you know, 
mm. to to be eaten. Some of these are fish are a little too small, and then they need to go back and grow. And the time isn't quite right in this moment. So yeah. the idea is that there's a process of determining: is this a good idea? Is it is it not? Is this the right time? The right circumstance? Uh, I think. Bottom line on all of that then is. Uh, when you know what Jesus is talking about is ministry, okay, mm-hmm. and the thing that we need to look at in a bottom line understanding of ministry is help. That's what ministry is supposed to look like. That um, we are gathering people, we're casting the net wide, we're gathering people to the Lord. Some of those people, this is the right time, the right place. Some of them, it, it it's not, but we're letting them know they are welcome. We're letting them know they are invited. We're gathering people together, and we're helping them, body, mind, and spirit, or their physical needs, their emotional needs, and their spiritual needs. We're we're taking care of the whole person here, and that's what Jesus is trying to point to. I think that's a really fantastic place to take that. And Lee, where do we close that out? I love this. I I, I love the question. I, I love the places that, that Glenn took that, and especially, you know, just the just the kind of glimpse into um, into types of fishing that I don't have any experience in. And I think that one of the things that I love about diving into the Gospels is is the creativity of Jesus. I mean, just his creativity of knowing how to spark a guy's interest that he wants to, that he's got a job for and that he's got, that he wants to use. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm, this is a, this is speculative. And um, so uh, but I think I think it's worth exploring. Um, I- I'm not a huge fisherman guy. I've gone fishing several times. You know, as a little kid, I went with my dad. I went with an you know an uncle or two, and I, I used to fish a little bit with a, f- a friend in high school. But at this point in my life, I've got a couple of really good friends who are excellent at fishing. And one of the things I can tell you about guys that that like to fish is they love fishing. I mean, they love it. And here's another thing about that. They love to find other people who are loving, that love fishing, and they love to talk shop about that. They, it's a passion. They want to talk the best fishing spots. They want to talk, what are you casting? What are you, what were you fishing for? Oh, this season is, oh, the, the, oh, the dam is generating. That's going to change the temperature of the river. Oh, then we need to go hit this spot. And they, I mean, their eyes light up in a way that, you know, I don't even understand what any of these terms mean. I don't understand why they're excited about it. I don't get anything about it. I'd tell you all that to say this. The Lord wanted to use this dude to reach people who needed Jesus. And I think at least a piece of this was he was appealing to something in Peter that I have found to be true of fisher people, and I have found to be true about myself with ministry, and that is um, when you get a taste for what it feels like to, to help somebody understand how Jesus feels about them and to give them a little taste of the freedom and the love the freedom that he has in store for them and the love that he feels for them. When you witness some of those connections happen in a person's mind because of something that you got to be a part of, man, in my life, that has lit me on fire like nothing else in the world. And guys that are, folks that are, you know, guys and gals that are a part of outreach ministry, 
we like to find other outreach people and talk shop. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, we're yeah. like two fishermen saying, "Oh, they run the generator. Oh, the rivers change." Okay, well, tell me what you're. Tell me what lure you're casting. Oh, have you ever thought about this spinner bait? And I'm I'm using mm. terms I don't know what any of them mean. But in <laughs> ministry, I know what they mean. Uh, I, that whole thing to say, when Jesus uses you to do the thing that he made you to do, I can promise you this. Whatever that gifting is, whatever that thing he's called you to do, that thing will light you up like nothing else in the world will. And you will be drawn to other people who are a part of that kingdom activity. And when you get together, you have found a friend and you have found a connection and you have, and that's going to even, that's going to make that fire that's inside you burn even hotter. Um, This to me, this, this illustration by Jesus is such a cool way of saying to Peter, you think you're into this fishing thing? You just wait until you find out what I've got in store for you. Your whole world is about to blow up, and you're going to love getting together with other people that are a part of this kingdom activity, and you're going to find your best friends in the world, and you're going to find your most favorite activity in the world, and your heart's going to be on fire in ways that it never has been, and you and I are going to do some cool stuff, and it's going to be it's going to be like this, cranked up, um, you know, 10 and 100 and 1,000 fold. All great stuff from, from both of these guys, and... They they did so well going into the detail into this particular story, but I just want to commend you, the question asker, for the the attitude on yeah. this. And Glenn kind of started us off with this. It's very easy to see parts of particularly the Gospels that we've seen hundred times. We've seen a preach. We've heard him preached on. We've read him in the book. We've read, and it's always a setup, right? To to think, well, I know why you said that because these guys are fishermen. And the the sermon that writes itself off that is so whatever you do you if you can be an IT person for Jesus and you know all that <laughs> which is fine and true and good but there's more to it if you look at it that way one of the the things that kind of makes for those of us who believe that makes biblical stuff particularly the words of Jesus different than any other kind of literature is the analogies are perfect the analogies are have this this thread and this depth of the more you look into them. If you know something about fishing, if you know people who do fishing, this analogy means something very different. If you know people who've you know left us a, a firm career to do something a little more out there for the Lord, this means something different. There's all sorts of layers. So, and it's I think it's actually a cool thing as we come into the Christmas season, where it's certainly a a story we've all heard a, a million times, as opposed to the idea of uh, trying to find a new angle or looking for something. Just go into those things that you know really well and just ask, find a place to ask a question. Find a place to say, okay, I have what I think this means, but is that all it means? Could there be another aspect to it? Is there something that I can come into this with fresh eyes and it hits a little funny? Because as you say in the question, it really does hit funny to not say, oh, the way you try to gather things, you can do that. But with people, it's just say, I will make you a fisher, but for people. It's a very strange thing to say. It's especially, you know... (laughs) Maybe you try to catch them in a net. There, I, we've heard worse ch- church growth strategies, but that's probably not ideal. But you know what that means to you, what it meant to the people at the time, what it might mean to people who are really into the thing. It, you know, there's a lot of really, really cool layers to uncover when you come into it. In the scriptures, and particularly the the stories of the gospels, looking for things you can poke and things you can uh, unsettle, as opposed to just kind of doing the thing we all do, and it totally makes sense. If you don't stop yourself, say like. 
okay, I know what that is. I can shortcut that. I can move on to the next thing. There's a lot of cool depth to uncover there. All right. If you have a question for us, say it podcast at gmail.com, the bridge Chicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, don't forget to join us. Facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago every Sunday at 7 PM central time or whenever is convenient for you for the bridge cast. It is as this comes out, December 1st, we're post Thanksgiving. We are in December. That means it is officially Christmas music season. <laughs> The world over, and that is, and now has to be an uncontroversial statement. We held off as long as we could. <laughs> so, for the first of our Christmas season uh, outro songs, let's see how the song featuring our friend Lynn's Honeyman. This is the Bridge Loud version of Away in a Manger. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we All love right. you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we foolishly think outreach is about finding people in need and helping them. We've never even thought about building a Tower of Babel. <laughs> Away in a comment.